So last week, um, we lifted up the beginning of Jesus's famous sermon on the plain found in the Gospel of Luke. And I said numerous times that the words of Jesus, 2,000 years later, still messes with our heads. Well, get ready, because the sermon isn't over. Jesus, with those words we shared last week, was just getting started. Um, but before I read the next section that we're going to read and lift today, um, just a reminder from last week, the challenge of the blessings and the woes. So Jesus paints a picture for us of a world turned upside down, where the things that common sense and common custom maintain as desirable were suddenly they're considered undesirable. In the words of Jesus, the hungry, the poor, those who hurt, those who mourn are those to be celebrated. And those who are rich, who are full, who laugh, woe to you. I wouldn't want to be you. It's a section of scripture that we get to that can leave us wondering, how exactly does this look? How does that, that that Jesus is proclaiming, how does that work? Then we get to verse 27, which we will read today. And it's like Jesus knows that we're kind of scratching our heads, lifting the question of how. And he gives us 11 verses to say, this is how it looks. This is how it works. Jesus follows the blessings and the woes with this call. Not to give up all our possessions, but to love. To regard others with mercy and to sacrifice one's comfort on behalf of another. So I'll be reading from Luke 6. 27 through 38. And as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Gracious God, by your word, you provide all we need for salvation, for wholeness, for abundant life. Now draw us close in your spirit so that we may discover your will and live according to your purpose. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So Luke 6, beginning at verse 27 and going through 38. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you give back. This is the word of God. For us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I came across an article um, this past week where the author was thinking through this passage and asked, is this word from the Sermon on the Plain realistic? Is it dangerous? The author named everything we named last week, that these words from Jesus 2,000 years later, they still mess with our heads no matter how many times we come to them, how often we reflect on them, study them, discuss them, we continue to struggle with them. And rightly so, because what we're really struggling with is this challenging way of Jesus, which is built on a love that is often too deep and too profound for us to comprehend, much less practice. Love enemies. Do good to those who do you ill. Bless your cursors. Pray for your abusers. Give to everyone who begs. If anyone steals from you, don't ask for them to give it back. And then um, a verse that we all learn as the golden rule. Verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So I'm curious how many parents out there have kids that have said um, what mine have told me. You know, the golden rule is one of the earliest things we teach our children, kind of their first step into discipleship for our kids. And I remember one time when my two older kids were fighting and my oldest daughter very prophetically let me know that her brother was being mean to her, which means he wants her to be mean to him. The challenging way of Jesus. It gets uh, misrepresented by the best of us. But I will say this um, about the golden rule in this passage. Um, I kind of feel like we get to verse 31 and we breathe a little sigh of relief. Finally, a verse maybe we can swallow a verse in the middle of all these heavy words that sounds manageable. Well, we can hear Jesus say, let me put it another way. Let me sum it up for you. Does the above sound too much? We'll try this instead. Just love people the way you would want to be loved. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. Okay, you say. Okay, I can do that. That's a little better. We can look at verse 31 and say, this is, this is a more simple way for me to live my faith and to do what feels impossible. What a good summary. What an easy word to carry with me. 
until that word, one, gets misrepresented, or we take that word, not as a simple summary of Jesus' challenging way, not just some simple and easy way for us to practice the way of Jesus. What if instead all those other verses are actually helping us understand how to live verse 31? What verse 31 means. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Love like you would want to be loved, which means you love your enemies. You do good to those who do you ill. You bless your cursors. You pray for your abusers. You turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, you offer your shirt also. You give to everyone who begs. If anyone takes your goods, just don't ask for them again. Love others. Love yourself because God loves you. So, if the golden rule isn't a simple summary, um, can I oversimplistically sum this up, um, what I was holding in my head? You know, in the opening pages of our story of faith, we have a God creating and calling that creation good. The story continues, and the overarching narrative is God working to redeem and to restore that which has been broken. God working for good. A line in that prayer that we have lifted at the opening of worship um, for weeks now. Yes, the blessings and the woes are challenging. Yes, the way of Jesus is challenging. But here's my overly simplistic word for you today. We, you and I, are invited to join Jesus in working for good, to redeem, to restore, to reconcile. And that work, that work may go against everything we know to be just and fair because that work is grounded in grace. And as one pastor said, grace ain't fair. God's grace challenges our sense of fairness. And we can either rage about that or rejoice over grace. Jesus invites us into grace, grace that meets us in those hard places, grace that shapes who we will be in those hard places, and grace that never lets us go as we strive to enter into the very life of God. Now, I want to go back um, to where I began, though, that question. Is this word from the Sermon on the Plain realistic? Is it dangerous? Well, I have a prayer that I came across this week as I was reflecting on this question. The youth are going to pass it out in a minute, not yet. Um, before they do, um, I want to share a little story that kind of helps set this prayer up. It's about the Archbishop Oscar Romero. So Oscar Romero was born in El Salvador in 1917. At the age of 13, he began his work to become a priest. His life as a priest, well, it kind of began very quiet, 
very stable. He worked as a priest, an administrator, an editor for a local newspaper. He was an area director for Alcoholics Anonymous in El Salvador. Um, his hard work, his loyalty paid off, and he became the auxiliary bishop of San Salvador. But his stable, comfortable, peaceful life would radically change in 1977 when he was appointed as the Archbishop of San Salvador. Almost a month into this appointment, his friend and fellow priest, Ritio Grande, known for his philanthropic, philanthropic activities for the poor, well, he was assassinated. So Romero requested the government to look into this, and nothing was done. As his work and his calling as Archbishop continued, his country became more and more unstable, more violent, more unjust. Part of what became his work was broadcasting a sermon each week over the radio, lifting a message calling out the violations of human rights that were taking place. As the violence and injustice increased in his country, Romero did try to reach out internationally for help, um, even reaching out to then-President Jimmy Carter, but his pleas went unanswered. He chose to stay in his country and preach a message of hope, of peace, of love to the citizens of El Salvador, calling on the soldiers of the El Salvadorian police to end the violence. He was considered a public enemy by his government, they labeled him an agitator, a communist, a troublemaker. In 1980, a day after delivering a speech to the Salvadorian soldiers to heed God's call and stop taking advantage of the poor, he was shot and killed by an assassin hired by the government as he spoke at mass. What Romero did was live the faith he believed in in the time he found himself in. A faith that was shaped by the challenging way of Jesus, calling him to give a voice to those without a voice and to stand with and encourage those who had lost all hope. So I share that story to set up this prayer. I'm going to let y'all get up and pass that out, um, please. I share that story so that I can set up this prayer that they're going to pass out pass out to you. This is called um, the Oscar Romero Prayer, although he never spoke it. Some call it the mystery of the Romero Prayer, that it has been attributed to him. So I'm going to let them pass that out, and we will just, uh, I'll read that, and you can follow along. I didn't pass it out earlier because you'd be reading it, not listening to me. So just follow along. I mean, it is a little lengthy, but you have it before you. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that should be said. No prayer fully expressed our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. 
No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produce effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. So back to that question. Is the sermon on the plane realistic? Is it dangerous? Yes to both. It's realistic and that our life of discipleship is about planting seeds that will yield varied, varied types of fruits. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in much grander ways, sometimes in ways that maybe we don't even realize. But just like this cycle of seed to earth to fruit to seed to earth again, as this prayer says, nothing we do is complete. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future not our own. We plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing they hold future promise. We cannot do everything. And there's a sense of liberation in realizing that. We do the good work of kingdom building, a kingdom that is seen in the challenging way of Jesus. And that last piece, is it dangerous? Yes. Choosing to enter the waters with Jesus, to step into God's kingdom, to say yes to the scandalous, sacrificial servanthood of the cross, it is always dangerous because we never know how and when and in what way God will call us. Amen.